It was on towards twilight when they arrived. They came in quietly, tacking into a westerly breeze. The boat scraped and then stopped on the shore just at the outside edge of town. The townspeople were in having their dinners. These men could hear familial conversations wafting out through the open, unshuttered windows. A crescent moon was already starting to show just over the distant hills. The breeze, even as they stood there, was quieting. The fronds of the trees tossed a little and then settled down for the night. Jesus and his friends began walking townward. They stopped at the house of the synagogue leader, who had been the first of his kind to trust in Jesus, and almost as if he'd been expecting them, he invited them in. They passed in through the front room and out into the courtyard. The man's wife and children ran to Jesus. They embraced. Then the woman went inside to see what she could quickly make for 13 guests. She ended up walking to both sides' neighbors to borrow from them. Her husband had already gone along both sides of the street, letting everyone know that the teacher was visiting, that they should come freely. And freely, they immediately came. Those presently ill came right through the door and out into the courtyard. Jesus smiled on them and healed them without rising from his chair. Some came on crutches or holding limbs injured at workplaces and He touched their joints and righted each. The food eventually was served along the long table. He and his friends sat there with the synagogue leader and his wife and his children and practically the whole town all gathered around now. He was distinctly fond of the olive oil the hostess served that night. She told him where he could get some for himself. The stars were beginning to sparkle overhead. The last lights of the day were waning in the west. And so thus they arrived at Bethsaida, proving its reputation for hospitality, and so passed the dinner at the synagogue leader's home that evening. The final plate of food was just in the middle of being finished off. When? The front door opening slowly, A blind man was brought to him with the earnest request that he should touch him. Everyone noticed an interesting look pass over Jesus' face. He considered the man, his brow furrowing. Then Jesus rose from his chair, took the blind man's hand, and, without any explanation to his host and friends, led him outside the village. They walked the same route he'd come in by, just in reverse, out the same narrow front street, down an alley, past the seaside shops, out across the shingle, past the boat by which he'd sailed in. The blind man could feel his hand within the others. He could sense and smell their movements out toward the seashore on the west of town. Neither of them said a word as they walked there. They walked like a father and son, hand in hand, quietly. At a certain point, they stopped. Then the blind man heard the unmistakable sound of of a mouth opening, the smacking of a tongue, and then he felt the warm, wet touch of fingers. 
You see, Jesus had moistened his eyes with saliva and in putting his hands on him asked, can you see it all? The man rapidly fluttered his eyelids, squinting against the dim light of the evening, looked up and said, I can see people. They look like trees, only they are walking about. He was referring, of course, to the group of people 30 or 40 feet away, the folks who'd left the courtyard of the synagogue leader to come and see. They were anxiously watching, silhouetted against the lights of the town. Then Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes once more, and his sight came into perfect focus. And he recovered and saw everything sharp and clear. He saw the rising crescent moon's light on the water, its track flickering with the subtle movements of the nighttime sea. The light of the billions of stars overhead and the kaleidoscopic light show, red, blue, green, of Venus. The black on black of the distant seaside heights against the night sky, a lovely, warm, dark silhouette. The dance of palm fronds moving with a gust of breeze, the same breeze gusting through the cloaks and tunics of the watching crowd, swirling them. And... Right here, the delighted smile of the man who just healed him, looking into his now working eyes, joyous with a heavenly joy. And Jesus sent him off to his own house with the words, don't even go into the village. Or in other words, just wait till you see your family. Well, the next morning, Jesus then went away with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. This was a journey best split up over a pair of days. The first day passed in sunshine, sweat, tired legs, casual conversation. They slept that night at the edge of the road in a grassy clearing. The next day dawned bright and clear. As they neared the villages marking the southern edge of that district, the disciples began noticing some of the historical and contemporary sites up ahead. Some of the ruins of the old temples of Baal on the roadside and up on the hilltops, all crumbling under the hot sun. Further off, the entrance to the grotto called the birthplace of Pan, that Greek god, with his fountain bubbling up from within. Getting nearer now, a gleaming white temple built by Herod, up on that high hilltop to quietly encourage the worship of Caesar. All of these sights made the disciples somewhat thoughtful. They were walking along and thinking of the passing of lifetimes, of centuries. They were nearing now the first and principal town of Caesarea Philippi when suddenly Jesus spoke up. He asked them, Who are men saying that I am? He asked this question without even looking over in their direction. His voice was steady and firm, and yet tinged with a sort of tentativeness. He was seriously interested to know their minds. John the Baptist, they answered, almost all together and all at once. Which was an answer, by the way, whose absurdity they all absolutely regretted. I mean, how silly that people thought that Jesus was his own cousin. 
Indeed, two of these now disciples had once been disciples of John himself. They could readily attest that Jesus and John were not one and the same. Then one of his friends went on, but others say that you are Elijah, or some say one of the prophets. Now, these answers were less embarrassing. After all, Elijah was the greatest of all the prophets, and after 400 years of so-called silence, any true prophet was a good thing to be. Jesus walked on and studied silence. They were rounding the bend toward a final approach to the town. Then stopping, turning so that he faced directly toward his band of followers, he asked them this question. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? These words hung in the air with great intensity. The twelve stood and faced toward their teacher. They seemed to be waiting upon a spokesman who would offer up the party line. Finally, Simon Peter stepped forward. You are Christ, he answered Jesus. A visible wave of emotion passed over the face and person of Jesus. His features lit. His shoulders relaxed. A broad smile crossed his face. His disciples couldn't possibly understand the relief this was to him, that the work of his life was succeeding, that belief was beginning. He stood there in the warm midday sun, clearly relishing the breakthrough of the kingdom of heaven into human hearts. And then his face grew serious again. And Jesus impressed it upon them that they must not mention this to anyone. They spent that night in the village ahead, spent the next day in the next three villages northward, and then began returning southward. It would be a leisurely three-day walk to return to the Galilee. A few new followers had joined from the Caesarea Philippian district. And during the middle day of their return, he began to teach them, walking along through a narrow point in one of the valleys, that it was inevitable that the Son of Man should go through much suffering and be utterly repudiated by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He told them all this quite bluntly. Then he began walking swiftly down the road away. But these words made Peter draw him on one side, taking him by the sleeve to lead him away from the others, and Peter took him to task about what he had said. The other disciples stood there in the roadway, watching this tete-a-tete along its shoulder, and began to wonder at the look on Jesus' face. It was like a storm was brewing over his brow. And Jesus turned and faced his disciples, and pointing with two outstretched fingers at Peter, rebuked him in everyone's hearing. Out of my way, Satan, he said loudly. Peter, you are not looking at things from God's point of view, but from man's. Then he called his disciples and the people around him. They all huddled in a small circle, circled around him there. And in the shadow of that roadside section of the valley, standing circled around him, his disciples and those new followers heard him say words 
they'd never forget. The storm over his face had shifted downward like lightning now in his eyes as he leaned forward and said to them, If anyone wants to follow in my footsteps, he must give up all right to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The man who tries to save his life will lose it. It is the man who loses his life for my sake and the gospel's who will save it. What good can it do a man to gain the whole world at the price of his own soul? What can a man offer to buy back his soul once he has lost it? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels around him. And with that, he was off again southward. Everyone continued to stand there, watching him go. It would be many years before Peter ever made the connection between that day and the evening days before, between himself and that Bethsaidan blind man. The Holy Spirit would be needed before that clarity came, and the Holy Spirit was still months away for Simon Peter. Yet later, when the realization suddenly hit him, he was taking a walk in prayer at the time, Peter suddenly smiled at the thought of that particular week, of the twice-healed man blinking his sighted eyes against the visuals of the moonlight, trying to take it all in, and himself thinking statements of belief were the same as seeing clearly, following Jesus, giving his all for the Father's earthly will. He realized then that he himself had required the touch of a rougher set of healing hands. And yet now, forever, Peter could see. <laughs> 